The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. In the studio, former Western Victoria MP Simon Ramsey. Good morning. Good morning, Mitchell, and uh, good morning to your listeners. Well, starting off with pre-selections, we've got Stephanie Asher in for Karangamite, but also I see for Dunkley, there's a high-profile person. I'm not a Survivor watcher, so I didn't know this person, but maybe the people of Dunkley do watch Survivor. Well, I, I don't know her either, but I gather it was quite hotly contested because um, a friend of mine, Chris Cruther, who was actually the previous uh, member for Dunkley um, lost his seat, obviously, with the redistribution, as Sarah did, in Karangamite. But uh, there were some very good candidates lined up in that uh, pre-selection. It was great I think to Donna see. Bauer yeah, Donna Hope. Bauer, who I work with, um, she came in when I did in 2010, um, and uh, a number of others. So I think it was great for that electorate to have that contest in pre-selection, and um, congratulations to the, uh, the successful candidate, and I'm sure she'll do a great job for... Um, the Liberal Party is representing them in the uh, seat of Dunkley. I don't know. Is Dunkley a winnable seat? I think in the uh, redistribution it stayed roughly the same, its margin. I think it's about, what, 3% to the Labor Party. Yeah, it's pretty tight. I think it's probably very similar to Karangamite, maybe not quite so marginal, but uh, it was always a seat that was going to be iffy at the, at the last election, uh, given some changes, and... Uh, we'll see what happens this time around, I guess. It's going to be an interesting election because it's kind of like the Howard government running for re-election in 2004. You know, they've had that many elections where they've won. Are people getting tired or are they going to keep voting in the same people? Well, I don't know. I, I think perhaps we'll see some pressure, and I said this to the Geelong 80, actually, when we talked about Stephanie Ash's um, successful... Yeah, so you got a nice few quotes in there. Yeah, it was mainly... Um, well, I'm not sure why they come running back to old exes that sort of should be out in the wilderness somewhere forgotten, um, but <laughs> I keep my head up purposely just to make sure I'm not forgotten too much. <laughs> Um, but I did think that maybe in the sandbelt areas around Melbourne, some of those seats like Deakin will come under a bit of pressure at the mm. uh, next election. Um, certainly, congratulations to Steffi, while I've got the podium. I think um, she'll make a fantastic candidate, and I've said that on a number of occasions, both through print and through the Pulse Radio. Uh, again, it'd be nice to see a pre-selection convention. I, I'm sort of a bit disappointed. Karangamite traditionally has had... Uh, a number of candidates standing for pre-selection. Well, you ran and it was hotly contested. I ran twice, in fact, 2000 and 2009, and uh, I was the only one running against Stuart MacArthur back in 2000. That would have been tough. Uh, It was pretty tough. It was quite a learning experience, Uh, character building, as they say, Mitchell, (laughs) in the trade, Um, because Stuart had been there some time and obviously had a very strong supporter base. So I'd just come off the back of being uh, President of the Wool Council of Australia at the time, and I thought my time in agri-politics was nearly done, and I'd go to politics, but the time wasn't right. And again in 2009, of course, um, I thought I might have had an opportunity post uh, being President of Victorian Farmers, but as we know, this girl from Sydney came launching down into Melbourne and took over uh, the... um, the campaign of Karangamide has successfully uh, won, of course, and I'm talking about Senator Sarah Henderson. Uh, again, I think there was 11 candidates in that pre-selection, wow. and um, I think even the 
just I'm trying to go back in time. I actually don't have the data, but certainly I would have thought we might well have had other candidates wanting to contest that seat. But obviously Stephanie Asher is a standout, and um, I look forward to working uh, with her as part of the team, the campaign team at some point in some capacity as we go up to the next election. I think the challenge for anyone that wanted to stand against her in a pre-selection would be who else has the runs on the board in terms of actually being liked, it seems, by the people of the Ballerine. Because if you look at that 2PP map where it goes blue for Liberal and red for Labour, um, all of the Ballerine pretty much is red, so you need someone that's popular there. Although what remains to be seen is will people vote along party lines or will they say, I actually like that person because I voted for her in the council elections and change who they vote for federally? on that basis yeah it will be interesting um uh it'll also be interesting how much the uh the national uh vote um has sway in in the seat of Karinga. my you know whether the morrison oh, government because they can put up a candidate now can't they on, the nationals on the nose they can mm. um i don't think they will in fact i thought stephanie would have been a good fit for ballerine i was very keen for her uh, a couple of years ago for her to get herself organised so she could run for Bellarine. It's interesting that Lisa Neville um, has not seen fit to stand down. I would have thought given, uh, you know, her obvious health issues which are on the public record, but Lisa's been around a long, long time in politics. She'll get the defined benefit scheme. She was there prior to 2004, so she gets an annuity for life of a whatever it is, um, and uh, I thought this would have been a great opportunity for her to spend more time with um, family and look after herself and her health, but I suspect uh, the Andrews government uh, machinery doesn't want a by-election in Bellarine right at this time. Mm. Uh, otherwise, I could see no reason why, why Lisa would want to continue. She's been on leave now for a, a long time. Uh, at that she wouldn't take the opportunity to look after herself. She's very good family. at winning elections, Lisa. She is. Um, and, of course, it's her call. But just from a person standing outside the box, I thought, uh, given that she has been in Parliament a long time, she will get the uh, financial support through the Defined Benefits Scheme and obviously still in... Um, poor health that she might have taken the opportunity to call it quits. I um, was listening back to the recording of the 2018 Ballerine Forum just recently. I can't remember if you were in here for that one, but um, I think Lisa got criticised at one point because she'd said that she wants to retire to France and uh, drink wine and eat cheese um, and that wasn't during the forum. Someone had raised that she'd said that in some other article and she said, well, everyone has dreams and don't we all have dreams? But she said, no, I'm staying for the full term if I get re-elected. Yeah, well, I have a similar dream, except I prefer to go to Spain myself, <laughs> Mitchell. But, um, yeah, look, she uh, she is a very good um, uh, political campaigner, and we've seen that with her successes in Ballerine. But I hear there's a few people on both sides of the politics that are sort of waiting for that seat of Ballerine, but they're waiting until Lisa goes first because they don't want to have to face her in an election. Yeah, well, look, I um, I would have thought, Daniel Andrews is doing very well in the polls, despite the criticism of his um, pandemic response. Uh, we now see, of course, that perhaps the lockdowns in Victoria were not so bad as they were painted to be out, particularly by the opposition at the time. Uh, New South Wales has got its own difficulties in relation to the spread of transmission in that state. So I, I don't see Andrews taking too much of a hit out of the pandemic at the moment. Of course, there's a lot of sheet blame towards the feds in relation to quarantine and the vaccination rollout, and that will continue probably mm. right up to the election, uh, that um, the, the, you know, the Andrews government is at risk at this time. So, uh, again, it 
doesn't quite make sense to me why why Lisa would want to hang in there. Back to uh, Stephanie Asher, I did ask Senator Henderson, should people have to resign if their local council is running for federal politics, uh, whether it's Libby Coker, whether it's uh, Stephanie Asher, because I know Sarah was quite strident on Libby Coker shouldn't be in local council and running for Karangamite at the same time. Didn't exactly get a, a direct answer, but I suppose if it's good enough for Libby Coker to be a, a councillor and to resign after she gets elected, it's probably good enough for Stephanie Asher, right? Well, that's true. Um, I suppose the difference between Libby Coker when she was serving with Surf Coast is that she was mayor mm. at the time. So you probably have to stand candidate. down as mayor because that's a pretty full-on job, isn't well, it? Well, I think, you know, there, there's bound to be some conflicts of interest in respect to Steffi's roles. She's also chair of G21. I must say I've never heard of what G21's been doing over the last 12 months. Well, you should listen quiet. every month when Julia Baggio comes into the studio. <laughs> I must then, but uh, I guess uh, Stephanie's very um, intimate and involved in the city deals. Obviously, yes. there's a lot of federal money and state money being involved, having Senator Henderson sort of being involved herself in that. Uh, people may wonder if there's and can be a separation of the work that Stephanie will do for the Liberal Party as against the roles that she currently has with G21 chair and mayor and councillor. So that's for her to sort out in the council. But, you know, there's certain acts that govern what you can and can't do in respect to being a candidate of a political party but also have a, a governance role or official role with uh, under the Local Government Act. So... I'm not going to suggest one way or another what she does, but I'm sure she's very aware of the fact that she needs to separate herself from her uh, political activities to her um, local community activities. Uh, looping back to the state politics situation, the boundaries have been proposed to be redrawn and there's been a couple of changes. Uh, essentially, Polworth loses, I think, a substantial slice of its margin uh, by taking in Torquay and some of those areas that used to be part of South Bowen. And uh, South Bowen itself, under these proposed boundaries, becomes a little bit more marginal but is still a Labour seat. So, uh, I don't know, how's the South Bowen pre-selection going to go? Because I saw Andrew Katos was quoted in the paper a couple of weeks ago about it. Yeah, well, I think Andrew, and I've spoken to him about this, is, um, and you never quite lose that passion for serving uh, in public service, particularly as a uh, parliamentarian, Mitchell, and I, I, I'm still, you know, want to be involved in some way, um, and I'm sure Andrew does too, and he's seeing the redistribution perhaps favouring uh us a little bit in that, you know, there's a bit of Belmont now coming into South Bowen. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see his hand go up for um, a candidacy for South Bowen again. I think he loved what he's doing. He's very good representing the people. He He's very well connected. And I hope he does if he feels inclined uh, to put his hand up for pre-selection next year. I assume it'll be early next year. So... And uh, also, of course, Richard uh, has his hands full now with the changing demographic of Polworth, which goes into some significant Labor territory down on the um, surf coast. So he will, he will have a fight on his hands to control that seat. And, of course, we've got the upper house where I suspect there'll be a number of contenders um, 
for uh, the two positions that we have on that um, Western Victoria region ticket. Yeah, that's going to be interesting, isn't it? Because um, there's only one Liberal Western Victoria MP now, but you would think with all of that farmland uh, out to the west that it would be a, a Liberal area, so why couldn't you at least have a second Liberal representative? At one point, as you know, there were three um, with uh, the National representative there as well. So I haven't seen exactly how many more votes the Liberal Party needs to get to get the second person back into Western Victoria, but that's going to be a point of interest, isn't it? It is, and of course it's up to our lower house seats in the region too, in sure we hold the number one and two spot the national party has the third spot i see um and but it's never in the history of victoria western region we've actually lost that number two spot i mean normally uh the number two spot sits on around about 16 percent of the vote Mm. uh to actually lose that second spot is just as i said it's unprecedented uh and just shows what um well, if I can put it fairly harshly, what a terrible campaign we ran in 2018. Uh, really, it affected an awful lot of seats and a lot of good uh, representations uh, from our party uh, that had lost those seats. So uh, very much we need to correct the record in respect to making sure we get back that number two position and hopefully the national parties will be successful and taking the number third spot back again, as we did in 2010. Now, uh, just a quick COVID update in New South Wales. They're doing it very tough at the moment, and it looks like they may have triple digits in terms of case growth today, which I think is something we hope we'd never see in Victoria ever again. And I suppose we could just empathise with them because we've been there, we went through it last year, and I don't think I'd wish what we went through last year on anyone. No, and it's interesting to see the federal government now is um, both pouring financial support uh, grants back into the business that have been affected, perhaps more so than Victoria got. Interesting to see they're fast-tracking uh, some Pfizer vaccines, I think, into New South Wales to help cur- curb the transmissions. And obviously we've got border lockdowns now between Victoria and New South Wales. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether the state goes into total lockdown. Of course, their demographic's very different to Victoria. They've got vast rural lands that they can actually ring lock if they if they wish well i mean you went through parts of rural new south wales can you imagine some of those places you went to fully locked down with your 5k travel limits and all that correct and and it's very hard to compare how victoria say a smaller state with a higher population density sort of reacts to a pandemic than say new south wales that has you know their population spread over a last vast area but look i sympathize with uh, the new south welshman i suppose we're lucky down here mitchell we we rarely went into stage four lockdown we were restricted in some way but not fully restricted and certainly my small business was able to continue without too much um, interruption um, but having businesses uh, closed down and we've seen the cbd in melbourne now looking starting the king's cross area or sydney uh, CBD looking very much like Melbourne did some months ago, and it's not a happy place to be. There's been an interesting debate, I think, breaking out this morning about how should the government try and incentivise people to go and get vaccinated. Apparently they've launched some new campaign with a dark ad apparently involving a girl on a ventilator. I haven't seen that ad, but I don't watch a lot of free-to-air TV. But I suppose is that shock, fear approach the best way to go and get vaccinated? Well, it was interesting, Simon Reynolds, who did the marketing campaign for the Grim Reaper, said that uh, that little, uh, you know, Band-Aid on the arm ad that they've been running was just absolutely ridiculous. It was not going to encourage anyone to get a jab. It was very sublime. There's no energy or passion in it. And I agreed. I thought, really? See a couple of hairy arms with a Band-Aid wasn't going (laughs) to 
uh, incite me to go and get a vaccination. But I have to say the the other ad, which is I gather for Sydney only, is quite confronting. It's a um, a girl uh, that's um, looking very unwell, having significant trouble breathing on some sort of respirator. Uh, and that's the shock value of sort of the Grim Reaper ad that Simon Reynolds did that thought that that ad would actually have more impact than the Band-Aid on arms. But then there's been criticism suggesting, well, of course, uh, the girl was under 40. It looked like she was under 40 and you can't actually get vaccinated this time yes. with Pfizer under 40. So what's the point? Uh, but nevertheless, it certainly got my attention, and I'm sure it'll get other people's attention to say, well, there's no way I want to be put in a position where I'm on a respirator, not being able to breathe properly uh, because I haven't had the vaccination. And that's, I guess, the message they want to impart. As I said to Senator Anderson this morning, there'd be a lot of people in that under 40 category that say, I want to get vaccinated, I can't. Um, so before you tell us, go and get vaccinated, maybe sort that part out first. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a criticism, isn't it, of the, um, the federal government at the moment in respect to the supply of vaccine and the sort of access to the different demo- age demographics. So I guess that's why they've gone softly, softly on the ad campaign. It's a bit hard to push a really hard ad campaign trying to encourage people to get vaccinated when in fact the vaccination's not there and I think that's one of the problems they have but I see they're fast tracking Pfizer into New South Wales, maybe there's opportunities there, Kevin Rudd I see has just poked up mm. on the weekend saying that he's been talking to the Canadian President or something and Prime Minister and was able to talk him around to perhaps making some more vaccine available or maybe it was to Joe Biden, I forget. He seemed to be doing a lot of talking to some leaders of the world about is there any spare supply that Australia could have and of course he'll um, have a quick call to uh, Scott Morrison to say he's fixed the problem and he'll uh, get the vaccines rolling into the country. And I see Malcolm Turnbull's jumped right behind him and saying why is Kevin Rudd sorting it out and what a disgrace that Scott Morrison and Greg Hunt don't see it as important enough so uh, you've got to love ex-Prime Ministers don't you? I know they're very hard to um, put to pasture, aren't they? Quietly. <laughs> and uh, just last, actually, one other thing just with the ads they've mentioned uh, if they want to get people vaccinated, don't show needles going into arms, which I actually tend to agree with. Yeah, I'm not a big needle fan myself. In fact, I, don't, I can never look at it, having a needle, mm. I always look away. Um, and I'm not sure seeing the actual needle go into the arm is that pleasant for anyone. Especially mm. nowadays, the TVs are big, 4K quality. Um, you see every single bit of detail. It's not good. No, and I had to sit through sunrise this morning where Sam the weatherman was getting his injection and he waffled on for 10 minutes before, <laughs> you know, tying up a doctor for all his prattle uh, to <laughs> get this injection. He's turned out to be a bit of a sook about it all. I'm not sure that encouraged many people to get vaccinated either. Um, mm. Look, just need to get in, get the jab and get out. Um, and uh, I had a good experience at the Ford uh, factory maybe three weeks ago with my first AstraZeneca. Uh, I look forward to getting it again in September. I think there's quite a wait. It's a bit of a lag. Compared yeah, with, to Pfizer. With Pfizer, I think it's only a few weeks. Yeah, and it's hard to know whether, you know, you've had the Astra for the first one. Do you go to Pfizer for the second one just to take away some of the doubts mm. around the clotting? Or do you stick with the same vaccine? Or do you hope that the Pfizer one will actually give greater antibody um, immunity? I don't know, but no idea. I'll, I'll mull that over the next month or so. And and just last of all, football. It's, uh, I don't know, AFL, interesting times. The final eight isn't uh, locked in. St Kilda's no, coming in. Lockie Henderson played his 200th game. What a and star. He comes from Birigara, where, where I farmed, and Former I know the John family Collegian. very well. Yes. Yep. 
very proud of him, proud of Ash uh, Barty, who won the Wimbledon um, women's final on the weekend. And Dylan also. Dylan, yeah, Dylan. Did you go won. for Italy in the soccer? No, I wasn't that interested in that, but I thought it was funny. I could barely find out who won the men's final last <laughs> night. Just sort of searched for the papers this morning, and I couldn't see, um, couldn't see a name. But um, Everyone was behind Ash. Novak uh, obviously came good again. I, I can't remember. He's won successive wins, hasn't he? And just lastly, the fast train. I wanted to talk about Mitchell, yeah. but we're going to have to leave it till next time, I think. It's the slow train still at the moment until probably, what, two years more. Was it 2029? Something like that. Well out. I mean, mm. I'm sort of thinking, will I even be alive or will I be able to get a train at that age? <laughs> but everyone's promised. Every successive state and federal government has promised us a fast train with, I think, $4 billion on the table to get this 50-minute train that takes 58 minutes. And as I've said on this program before, I don't understand what what the uh, what the issue is around the fast train? We want it being a comfortable ride, a safe ride, and a regular ride. And I take the train a lot, as you know. And um, if you ever get John Mitchell on the program at some point in time, he loves trains, and I'm sure we can have a, a chat about what he thinks about the well, fast train. Well, I ran train. into him on the weekend, and he said he was keen to come on with you. So. Well, I'd love to have a banter with him. I'm sure we'll have a few things to talk about. We'll see if we can tear that up. Thank you very much, Simon. Talk to you in uh, two weeks' time. We will catch up next. Thanks, Mitchell. Simon Ramsey, there, former MP for Western Victoria. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.